a, a view and an opinion. The view and opinion of a husband is seen in his wife. In other words, what it says is, uh, people form their opinion about the husband by looking at how, at how he treats his wife. That's how people form an opinion. And um, I thank God for that in the Bible because we are the bride of Christ. And the view that the world has about God is formed by how God treats us. Isn't that awesome? Um, and uh, that's why teachings like God will put you through hard times to purify you doesn't make sense. Because that will give, uh, that will put God in such a bad light. For the glory, the view and opinion of God is formed by how He treats us. And I want to tell you there's nobody that is such a gentleman as God. That looks at us with such an adoration in His eyes. Um, that when He sees us, there is every time He sees us, there's something jumping in His heart. Every time you wake up in the morning, there's a joy in God's heart. Uh, because you know, this is another day wherein I can remind you of what I freely have given you in Christ. Where I can um, impact you with who I am to the point that uh, uh, joy and blessing floods your life. That is, uh, that is just the way God treats us. You know, while I was sitting here, that verse came to my mind and a revelation with it. You know, so uh, let's know. You know, we are the bride of Christ. And He finds great delight in spoiling us. He finds great delight in blessing us. And um, I want to tell you, the, the greatest way in which He could ever spoil us was not to deal with us according to our iniquity and our transgressions. The greatest of all gifts that He could give us was the gift of His life coming uh, and, and, and finding its place of manifestation in our lives. Uh, free from our efforts. Uh, God is such a gentleman that doesn't matter what He's done for free for the whole human race. He always honors your part in bringing it to you uh, in the place of choice. Uh, you know, uh, a young guy, if he puts pressure on a girl to get married to him, you know, that is not seen as love. It's seen as manipulation and control. But if he loves her and honors her as his equal, he will always give her complete freedom. And I've said it so many times, if I take my son, or my, I mean my sons, once they've left the house, and they're grown-ups, and they go and do their, want to go and do their own thing, if I treat them as my equal, you know, I give them freedom of choice. Life cannot be, or love cannot be defined outside of freedom of choice. So God does not force Himself down on us. And today's message is about that. God has done everything for us in Christ. But what we do is, we, even as His love, I mean, as He shows His love, we'll find an absolute overwhelming emotion of being loved welling up in our hearts. But there's a place where we respond to it, where we say, from today, my whole life is based on this truth. And my thoughts will be formed by this truth. I'm not going to try and have new thoughts. My, form, my thoughts will be formed by this truth, by who He is. And I expect the Holy Spirit to bring forth the mind of God in my mind. I expect the Holy Spirit to bring forth joy and righteousness and peace, uh, uh, just a calmness of heart to my life. Uh, because even in this world, I mean, in, in this world that's a broken world, the best, highest quality of life is a life where the fruit of the Holy Spirit takes over our lives. Now, uh, for those people that watch by the internet and church leaders that watch by the internet, many times we, when we talk about fruit, uh, fear jumps up in our heart because we've got such a law-based, uh, fear-based doctrine concerning fruit, thinking that we need to bear fruit for God to love us or we need to bear fruit um, you know, to qualify or it's some demand that God puts on us. Now, fruit has never been a demand. It's never been demanded by God. I said it last Sunday, uh, uh, a fruit is not a command, it's a promise. The fruit of the Spirit is not a command, it's a promise. It's what God promises us 
when He comes and indwells us, what He will bring forth in our lives. Now, guess what? In, a life, in life today, uh, contentment would be a wonderful thing to have. Because you'll have peace, doesn't matter what. Um, in a life today, something like long-suffering or perseverance or kindness is a wonderful thing to have. But the problem is that it was not humanly possible to have it, uh, have the God kind of uh, patience, for instance. It was impossible. And we would sit with this anger and rage and whatever that wells up in our hearts, bringing great frustration, actually making us mark your food, your tight out. You know, with all these things, and we are desiring something else. And now a law was placed on us that says you must now even work hard, try and please God in heaven by doing this thing you really desire. Um, and you can't get it right, and you just into this whole pool of disqualification. But what God promises us is that He will bear His fruit in us. And we'll have the benefits of that fruit. It's like um, having a child that performs very well when it comes to school and athletics and all those kind of things. What an honor to raise a child like that in your house. I mean, you're getting the benefits of that. That's my child, you know. You get to travel the world with him, you know, because he's so good at his sport or um, maybe he's very intelligent and he becomes, gets a very high post somewhere, job, big job. You're going you're gonna to get the benefits of, um, from having a child that is such a genius. In the very same way, you know, with the fruit of God. When God bears His fruit in us, it profits us. Unfortunately, for many years, it was a command and was not preached as a fruit. Amen. Putting the, the pressure on us to have something we cannot have. It's not humanly possible to have it by willpower destroying people's lives. So, um, if, if I said it this way, satisfaction in life, and, and I want to just, just hear what I say um, in this, satisfaction in life cannot be found in fruit, but in the words spoken over your life. It is found in the love that God has for us and demonstrated in, dealing with us, in not dealing with us according to our sins. Fruit can be abused and used as a foundation. So in other words, what happens is, um, I can look at fruit in my life, like patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, and all those kind of things. Say I don't have it. I'm a believer in Christ. I don't have it. Life in this world might be a little bit more difficult, but my joy is not based on if I was patient today. Or if I helped somebody today. That's not where my joy is based. My joy is based on the word that God spoke over my life, which is seated at the right hand of God, which is Jesus. Jesus is God's word about your life. So that's where I find my joy. I don't find my joy in the fruit that I bear. Although I will bear fruit. If I use fruit as the foundation for my joy, it's like, think, think of this uh, get this picture in your mind. You're going to build a house and you're going to take these nice apples um, and pears and you're going to put it in the foundation so that it can sustain the building. It's just going to be crushed. It's not what it's been made for. Okay, so fruit has not been made. It's the, the, the design of fruit is not there to define you. So we don't bear fruit to feel good about ourselves. We don't bear fruit. We don't see fruit to be accepted by God. We bear fruit because we are accepted by God, because we are loved by Him, because He raises us up into a new form of life. And the only way for you to have access into that is by faith. Persuasion of this truth. Um, I, I've seen it many times at the, uh, the Karis Bible School. I ministered on this as well. And I said that so many times we are so hurt about the past that we are rebelling against anything that sounds like fruit or living a good life or anything like that. In the meantime, it is just something that's given to us as a gift. It's a gift. If you can have long-suffering as a gift, I mean, who doesn't want it? Yeah, bring it on. You know, if you can have patience as a gift, who doesn't want it? Everybody wants it as a gift. But that's how God gives it, as a gift. 
And then we look at this fruit and so many times and we confuse the whole thing and say, well, you know, if I can bear this fruit, that means something. No, no, it means nothing. A fruit does not define you. Jesus defines you. The fruit that God wanted for us was born in Christ. So if God wants to look at fruit concerning you to, to, to see who you are or whatever, He looks at the fruit of the work of Christ on behalf of the whole human race. That's what it looks at. And, I, and that's what we need to understand. Now, I want to touch a little bit on faith. Um, what is faith? So, first of all, let us not forget the first point. Our life is not defined in the fruit we bear. Remember when Jesus was in the desert, Satan came to him and said to him, take this stone, make it a bread, or jump off the temple, you know, and, and do the supernatural things. Look at the ability that you have to bear the fruit of the supernatural and define who you are by the fruit you can bear. But Jesus didn't find his joy or his satisfaction or his peace of mind in his ability or in the fruit that the Holy Spirit could bear in him. I mean, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came over him. Before that day, he didn't do one sign, wonder or miracle. After he received the power of the Spirit to do those things, what was the first thing that Satan came to say to him? Listen, take your ability to bear the fruit of the supernatural and make that the foundation of your sonship. And Jesus said, no way, the foundation is what God says about me. Okay, so Jesus did not abuse fruit. So let us not abuse fruit. Because you're going to find the one day, maybe you see good fruit manifesting in your life. And then the next day you do something wrong and you will be in a dip. You'll feel condemned, you'll feel judged, you'll feel I've, I've missed it again. Where is God? When am I going to get this breakthrough? When is God going to do something for me? The Bible says God redeems our lives from destruction. That word destruction means to sink away. He redeems your life from sinking. Many times you think my boat's going to sink. But He says He redeems our lives from that. And He explains exactly how that works. Right. Now, so remember that. Then we get into faith. What is faith? Because the Bible clearly says in Romans 5, um, be the, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what does he say? He says that all of mankind stands in the grace of God. All of mankind. But we have got access into this grace. We can make use of this grace through faith. So we can come and we can preach, uh, easily we can preach a message where we can say, everybody, the grace of God came unto every man. Unto us all grace came. I mean, Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. He died for the sin of the Satanist. He died for the sin of the murderer. He made all mankind innocent as pertaining to sins and the law by what Jesus Christ has done. All of mankind. But we find that many people are still suffering the consequences of the law system and we see death in their life and destruction in their life as if Jesus never came. Nothing has changed. That's why he says it's like standing in a river. It's like Don Williams sings this song. He says, it's an old country song. He says, friends I can count on, I can count on one hand with a leftover finger or two. So that's, that's bad. And then he says, he walks in town, he says, see all these faces of people that was actually his friends and he neglected them and he's so hungry for, for friendship but he cannot be friends because his thing passed away. He's like standing knee deep in a river dying of thirst. And it's exactly what it is with the grace message. We find so many people standing knee deep in the river of God's grace, dying and lacking influence unto a new life. Because of a lack of persuasion of what God has done for man. That's why it says, by faith we have got access into grace. For those of you that watch by the, by the internet, you know, there are people thinking that you can have access into grace without faith. It is impossible. I've never seen it once. You cannot see somebody having the influence of God upon his heart where he sees the fruit of the Spirit born from God manifesting in his life without believing in Jesus. It doesn't work. 
You know, so uh, uh, we need to know these truths. People need to hear it because when you hear it, you find a persuasion coming into your heart. So this is what faith is. Faith, the Greek word for faith is the word persuasion. I wish we could uh, translate the Bible again and uh, just every time where you get the word faith, put in persuasion. Persuasion is when you persuade it because of facts. That is faith. Faith is not, we, we, we thought faith is something that you must try and work up where you've got no evidence, no facts whatsoever, and out of thin air you must build up something that's going to give, that's going to please God, and when God, without proving who He is, without showing who He is, without showing you anything of who He is, you just believe in this God that just gives you a word. Listen, if you look at Abram, God came to Abram, He appeared to Abram. Okay, he showed something. He made promises to Abram. He provided for Abram. And through all those facts, he gave him things to look at. Look at the stars. Things to remind him all the time of his goodness. And all those things that happened, it's facts that happened in his life. And through facts, we find persuasion coming to our lives. So faith is not something you work up. It's impossible to work faith up. Faith is something that just happens to you. Okay? If you get the right information, faith happens to you. It's something that comes naturally. It's not a thing a human being works up. A human being cannot work up faith. It's humanly impossible. Um, if I come today to you and I give you all the evidence that somebody is going to, uh, um, that, that there's a murderer, I give you all the evidence of with video material how this person has already murdered people and uh, you didn't know that but he's going to be the, the babysitter for your kids for the evening when you're going to go out and I come with all this evidence and I tell you, man, listen, look at all this evidence but I want you to have faith that nothing bad is going to happen. It's impossible because faith doesn't work like that. The dynamics of faith doesn't work like that and unfortunately uh, uh, through the Word of Faith movement to a great extent where it was pulled out of context uh, uh, we've lost our understanding of what faith is. Faith uh, uh, can only happen once you get the correct information. If I want you to have absolute peace about that person being the babysitter, you know, I must come with other information that can bring forth faith or a persuasion which can bring forth peace. And that would be, listen, we looked at this person, we made a mistake on the video. It is not him. This is not the person. We've made a complete mistake with proof and facts that that was not the person. Once you get that information, you'll find faith come to your heart. A persuasion coming to your heart, rest and peace coming to your mind, which is called belief. So, in the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want access into the grace of God, if we want to see the life of Jesus manifesting in our lives, the only way it's going to come is through being persuaded of what has happened 2,000 years ago. Now, what happened 2,000 years ago? Uh, and, and I find that many, of, many people struggle to understand what really happened 2,000 years ago. The whole concept, in short, about the gospel is this. When Satan came... And this is how destruction works. When Satan came and deceived Adam and Eve, he brought Adam and Eve into a place where what they believe destroys them, kills them. He, he, he sold a lie, and this was the lie. The lie was, you are what you are capable to do. That's who you are. If you can build a big business, it means you are successful. Uh, uh, that's w just one example. Um, so he, he came and said, you can find your identity, you can, find, you can be like God by taking into account what you can do, and by what you can do, you define who you are. Now, when a person believes that, because a, anybody without God cannot be like God, what will manifest? The truth will manifest that you cannot be like God without God. There is only one God. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, you believe that God is one, you do good. So there's only one God. This, if you want to be like this God, the only way for you to be like this God is for this God to be in you. For there's only one. 
There's no, there's no other way. So what did Satan come and do? He said to Adam, Adam, look at what is in your life, manifesting in your life. Why was all the good things manifesting in Adam's life? Why could he name the names of the animals and he was this awesome being? Why? Because God lives in him. Then he confused him and said to him, listen, look at the fruit in your life. Look at the, have a knowledge of all these wonderful things. And then you define who you are by your ability. You are like God because you can do all these good things, man. That's why you like God. Wow! And he started to believe. When he believed that, he rejected God in him as who he is. And he found another source. And what manifested? The truth. What was the truth? The truth was that you're not like God. You are nothing. You're dust. You're dead without God. So the more you believe in that, the more you die. <laughs> and society is flooded with that thought pattern. Flooded with it. It's being taught on television all the time. It's being taught, <clears throat> sadly, on church all the time. I mean, I'm going to America now, and I must say, you know, years ago I didn't really like the Americans. But then I went there. They're wonderful people. Really wonderful people. So uh, tender-hearted, caring, loving, friendly. All, I tell you, the most wonderful people. But what I found when I was in America, because it's such a prosperity, and I'm sure the same will be in Europe, it's such a prosperity-driven society, money-driven. I mean, the, the, the U.S. dollar, even with what's happening to the dollar now, it's still the, the, the biggest, most used uh, currency in the world, is the dollar. If the dollar must collapse to nothing tomorrow, the world's bankrupt. So here, here you sit with the Americans, their whole mindset, especially in church, is formed that success, if you have money and you're a Christian, you're now really successful. What is it? It's exactly what Adam believed when Satan lied to him. Look at what you have. Define who you are by what you have. When you believe that, you die. So Adam implemented that as the system by which mankind will live forevermore. But thank God Adam died. Amen. Isn't that, that was one of the best things that ever happened. Imagine Adam ate of the tree of life and lived forever. That's why God says, let's take him away from the garden, lest he eat of the tree of life, and forever man will be who he is by what will define himself by death, by a myth, you know. Trying to be like God by your own abilities, like when I was in Hungary, this lady said, I asked her, I mean, she came through the whole thing of communism and everything. I said to her, please explain to me what is communism. You know, and, and her answer, when I look at I don't know why, but I want to cry when I think of her face. She had tears in her eyes, with big eyes like that. She looked at me, she's an elderly lady. She looked at me, she says, communism is a fairy tale. Sure. That was the answer. Communism is a fairy tale. I want to tell you, Defining who you are by your ability, thinking you're going to make it, is a fairy tale. You're going to die. It's going to destroy your life into eternal destruction. That's what it does. We cannot believe in that. Then God came in Christ and said, I'm going to redefine the way in which a human being can define himself. And God incarnated himself into human flesh. And then Jesus became a man under the law. The law man died so that we don't live by what is called the flesh, human ability. We don't live by that anymore. That destroys our lives. But we live by faith in what He's done, believing that God came into a human being. That, uh, uh, that, that man, let me call it this way, the old Jesus died. Then he was raised up, a glorified Jesus inside a human body. And we've got one reference why man is like God. And that is because God indwells a man. Seated at the right hand of God. Play, right hand of God, what does it mean? It means, the right hand means my equality. So man is in the equal level of God because God indwells human flesh in the heavens today. And we have faith today. We can be persuaded of this truth. And then when we persuade of this truth, we find God's full life manifesting in our lives. 
But what Satan does is he comes with deception again, like in the beginning, trying to deceive individuals to, to believe that they are what they can do. Take into account all the good things that God can do in your life. Look at what God can do. Bertie, look at your life. You know, you, your ministry was this big, now it's this big. It's reaching so many people now. You are a good preacher. And the moment I say I'm a good preacher because of this thing, I'll find in a certain area of my life, destruction will come. I'll find performance will come. I'll, I'll find judging will come. I'll find stress. You know, I will look at how many people visit my site, how many doesn't. I will, I will start to compare myself. I will start to do things to grow the ministry where I'll abuse people. And it will destroy me and other people's lives. And that is a slow circle of destruction that eventually leads to death. So, it is so important. That's why we look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, his whole writing of the book of Romans is faith. Righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith. You know, if you even go into Webster's um, dictionary and you study the word faith, the word faith, it says one of the meanings there is, it is obedience. It's obedience. The word obey, to obey. We obey God by believing what is done in Jesus. Adam disobeyed by not believing that he's like God because of God, but that he can be like God because of what God has done in his life. You know, the thing is so close. God does the good thing in our life. I mean, who bears fruit in us? It's God. So when God does a lot of good in your life, you look at what God has done in your life, and then you say, the good that God did in my life, because it feels as if you're doing it, because God lives in you. Amen. It's like you feel you're doing it. I feel like preaching here. It feels as if I'm preaching. But it is God bearing His fruit inside me. So if I now come and I look at all the good that I've done and I want to define my success by that, I, I, that's, the end of, that's the start of the end. Amen. If you look at your own life. Now last week, you know, I did very well. I lived well and I was very positive and everything. That means the following. Or this week I was depressed. That means the following. That is destruction. That's the pathway of destruction. It's unbelief in the fact that God is inside a human being and that's the only reference about your life. That's what I tried to say by my first statement that we, are, we cannot abuse fruit by making fruit the foundation. Okay, but fruit is a wonderful thing to have. Um, the faith is not something you do to get God to do something for you, but it happens to you when you hear what God has done for you. Belief is the fruit of making use of faith. Now, I want to explain that. Belief. Now, I can come to you, I can sell you something, and I can tell you all the wonderful things about this product. While I do it, you find persuasion rising in your heart. That's called faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is not something you work up. It comes. Okay, you can't decide to have faith. Faith is something that happens when you get information. It's like fear. You don't decide to have fear. Fear happens when you get the bad report. It just happens. Okay? Like I said before, somebody comes with a gun in your, shove it in your face at the traffic light. I mean, you don't have to go for five lessons in fear. It happens because the information produces the fear. The same thing with faith. But as this persuasion rises in your heart about somebody selling you a cell phone or some product and you listen to him and you persuade there will be a time where you decide to yield to that persuasion where you say okay I'm fully persuaded of this like for instance say I come and I uh, somebody puts money into your account or you put money away for one day now when is the one day okay because as you grow older you always feel young. I, 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 started to, I, I stopped to get older when I was 28. <laughs> my bard wasted me, but I still feel 28. <laughs> okay, so like my mom said, she said she can, she, in her heart she can swim over the Vol River. No problem. But the body just doesn't want to do it. So inside yourself you feel one age. So now you've saved money for your old day, but you always feel young. 
So when are you going to use the money? Never. Are you persuaded you've got the money? You're fully persuaded you've got the money, you've got the proof you've got the money. But unless you've come to the point where you say, I'm persuaded that this money is there for that specific day and today. I say, this is the day when I make use of this, you'll find that you can go and draw of that money and, and you can benefit from it. The same with faith. We hear the gospel. We hear the message of grace. Faith rises by the doing of the Holy Spirit. It's not our doing. But there comes a time when we say, today is the day where I say, I make use of this persuasion. I'm fully persuaded God loves me. I'm fully persuaded that He cares for me. I'm fully persuaded that He will provide for me. Therefore, as from today, I've got an expectancy. My mind goes to rest at the integrity of God. And from today, I know my provision or my peace or whatever it is, my healing is based on this persuasion. I got this picture um, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, of a troop driving this big cannon. And... Um, and then he shot this missile or whatever, you know, he, sh he shot one shot and some place exploded against the mountain in this picture I had. And then I felt the Lord asked me, he says, Bertie, who, who shot that cannon? Was it, or destroyed that mountain? Was it the troop or was it the cannon? And I realized the troop cannot shoot. He's a human being. The cannon is the thing that shoots. What he did was, he only made use of what was given to him. And there was a time when he felt, this is now the time when I make use of everything given for me, to me. And that's what it says in John chapter 1 verse 12. As many as believed upon them, he gave the right to receive, in the Greek it says, to receive the very being of God in this life. So we don't want to live by the law and have our lives destroyed. Destroyed with fear, anxiety, uh, gossip, judging others all the time. I mean, I don't want to drive down the street and judge everybody. I don't want to watch television, look at other preachers and judge them all the time. I don't want to live like that. And I found the more you try not to do it, the more you do it. But the more you focus on this, and this is what I said to Helena, as you look at this love of God and you look at this reality, you find you have not judged somebody. Because it's a fruit. It's not your focus on it. It's when you say, but this is reality. The reality is, when I was under the law, the law was bearing its fruit in me. But when I'm under grace, the influence of God into my life, how did God influence the human race? By becoming a human being, making Him the representative of us all. When I look at that, I find, with an expectation. You know, the first thing, when we receive Jesus, we've had this one expectation. Because of Jesus, we're going to go to heaven. Glory to God. But Paul came with a wonderful revelation in Romans chapter 6. He said, when we were under the law, sin was just becoming more and more and more, even leading unto death. He says, but now Jesus came, became a man under the law, and then He died. And don't you know that you have already died with Him? And when he was raised up, he was raised up by the Holy Spirit into newness of life. So under the law, we try to raise up a new life by our willpower. But in the new, we are raised up into newness of life by the Holy Spirit with the resurrection power of Jesus. So, patience is not something you try to do. Patience is something that happens by the resurrection power of God. You are raised into being a patient person. Through persuasion of what Christ has done with a willingness yielding your body to it. It's like Mary. Here comes the angel to Mary. What does he say to Mary? He says, Mary, you will have a son. He's the son of God. He will be the Messiah. He tells her everything. Okay? The angel said, this is how it will be. It sounds like dictatorship. But you know what Mary said? He says, I'm the servant of God. Let it be done unto me as you have spoken. So there was a place where she yielded herself to this wonderful truth. And what happened? She's remembered until today. For being the mommy of Jesus. Until today. 
In the very same way, God comes with a word that says, you are innocent, I work in you, and this and this is what will happen in your life. This fruit will be. What do we say? We humble ourselves and we say, let it be done in this life unto me. It was a done deal from God's side. But all we do from our side is we make use of this. And then we are saved from this destruction that comes into this life. Okay, right. Let me read another verse quickly. Romans um, chapter 6. Okay, I also want to explain Romans 8 where it says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, how does condemnation work? The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What is the flesh? The flesh is, like I said, to look at your own fleshly ability and define yourself by it. To live by the law. The Jews understood flesh as being a child of God by being a Jew. And then you're obeying certain commands because you're a Jew. That's what they believed. That's being in the flesh. So when you, he says, there's no condemnation. Now we thought that condemnation, and I always thought that condemnation was this emotion of feeling guilty. But that's not the context of that verse. The context of that verse comes from chapter 5, 6, and 7, especially chapter 7 in Romans, where he explains condemnation actually as when you stand under the law and sin inside you makes use of this law system to kill you and condemn you unto death. What it's actually talking about is to be enslaved under the power of the flesh. That's condemnation. Because the, the flesh, the, the law condemns you unto a life where you cannot do what you want to do. You are under bondage and destruction. But he says there's no more condemnation. There's no more that thing for those who are in Christ. Who's in Christ? Everybody is in Christ. Because Christ reconciled the whole world. The whole world was reconciled unto God in Christ. Everybody was in Christ when He died. Not just the Christian, but everybody. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who's in Christ? The whole world. Why do some people in the world still experience death? For those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For those who've come to the revelation of, I'm not... Who I am not what I do, I am who, who, who He says I am. Who He is is who I am. When that starts to become your mindset, you'll find Him bearing His fruit in you, and we're not condemned unto being destroyed by the fruit of the flesh. I hope this is clear. You know, this is actually a very simple message. But because of uh, the years uh, of, of traditional teaching of condemnation and bringing guilt and, and, and manipulation and control, it's a very difficult message to preach. Because people can so easily say you're preaching the law. And then rebel. And say, oh well, I don't want to hear it. And then miss out. <laughs> because rebellion does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. What produces the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit. When are you in the Spirit? If you believe in Him, Romans says, you are in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, so for us, Paul comes with a revelation in Romans chapter 7. Let me just hear, how long have I preached, Aubrey? Yeah. How long? Yeah. Okay, another 10. So Paul comes, I think next Sunday I'll have to continue. There's so, much, so many verses here. Paul comes in Romans chapter 7. And um, he, he says, uh, I've, I've ministered many times, but he says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Paul talks about himself here after he received Jesus. Um, and he said that the principle of the law basically still works if you believe in it. It can still destroy your life should you believe in it. Should you try to justify yourself by works, you'll still experience uh, that death. And it comes first through bearing certain fruit. Okay, in you. Now, what does that mean? That means that the, the, the fruit in your life that's negative, let's say outburst of wrath, hatred, uh, um, sexual uh, uh, immorality, and all those kind of things, Paul says, it is not I who do it. It is not I who do it. Paul comes in Romans 7, and I don't have time to read the whole thing. 
he looked at his life and Paul started to struggle with lust. And I must say, but that is not possible. That's what Paul wrote there in Romans 7. He says, I did not know desire. I did not know lust, if you read it in the original language, except the commandment said, thou shalt not covet. And the, the connection here was after he received Christ. So he received the Lord Jesus, lived a wonderful life, then he became law-minded again. After becoming law-minded, uh, you know, and seeking justification by works and blessing by his works, he says, I found that desire started to come up in me. All manner of concupiscence is actually uh, what it says there, which is the wildest form of lust. Then he said, but I then came to this revelation that it was not I who sinned. Because in my mind, I didn't want to do it. But there was something inside me that was doing it. That was destroying my life, taking me captive, making me a slave. Then he says in Romans 6, But we shall not be slaves anymore when we can believe in what Christ has done. So when we are persuaded of this, we say we yield our bodies to this and our expectation is for God to manifest this in our lives and then it manifests in our lives. We find freedom from these things. So Paul was definitely set free because he got this revelation. He said, I started to walk according to the flesh. I started to walk according to laws again. And he quoted the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments in Romans 7. And he says, this worked all manner of concupiscence in me. But thank God that I was set free from this again when I realized what was going on. It is not I. It is a monster waking up. And the catalyst is works righteousness that's what he was saying and then he says he goes on in Romans 8 he says but we live in this body that's got that ability that when you put it under a law it will manifest all this death but we wait for return of Christ where this body will even be glorified amen, amen. where this body will be saved from having that ability but as long as what Jesus has not returned we have that ability I look at, at pastors, you know, you, you go to your church, you start, you preach a wonderful message of grace, okay? These people are committed. The church grows. Everything goes well. I've seen it now in the last two, three years. Um, and I say this also for church leaders watching, for men church leaders watching my, my stuff. So, uh, what happens? You preach this message, the church grows, there's excitement, uh, a wonderful buzz, okay? Then comes a financial dip because of something in the economy or whatever now we must pay our bills so we're just gonna quickly speak on tithing again what happens now all of a sudden you find half your congregation wants to leave you <laughs> they want to leave they are rebelling all kinds of death is manifesting and now because they want to leave now we must preach on commitment now we're hammering commitment now. Becoming even worse. Instead of just changing the little leaven that's killing the whole thing. Just stand up and say, guys, there was financial trouble here. I didn't know better. I made a mistake. This is what I did. Out of that was born a lot of other teachings. Please forgive me. You know, I want to just get back to the basics. Giving is born from generosity. Let's just continue. The people will come back and they will be very committed. It's really the way it works. And obviously you always get, you know. It doesn't matter what you say, they hear whatever they want. It's just the way it is. You know, our God was the perfect father, the perfect shepherd, the perfect everybody. And look what Adam and Eve did. You know, so if you're a leader and you have some people that, Ma, that's a bit rough, don't judge yourself. You know, sometimes it's also the people's fault. <laughs> okay, right. So, for us, if we can understand this, what Paul said here, he says, And I was alive apart from the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was unto life, I found, was to be unto death. For sin got its opportunity by the commandment, and beguiled me, and through it slew me, so that... Uh, uh, um, and, and slew me. So what he said there was, I thought that the law would give me life. I thought I would have a wonderful life in looking at all the good that happen, happens in my life 
defining myself by that. I thought that is the way. How can I know I am righteous? How can I know I am the blessed of God? By all these things. By all these things. He says, I, I, I mean, that makes, that's common sense to us. And even the law says, love your neighbor, do all these things, do all these things, do all these things. And if I, then you make your own conclusion, if I can do all these things, that means the following. The moment you do that, you're into destruction. Paul says, I've come to this revelation, that killed me. It brought forth sin in me. And how liberating. Now I tell you, um, some people, some leaders, if they hear this. To say to somebody, it is not you who sin. It's not you who sin. It's something inside you. But you are feeding it with something that makes it manifest. Now I want to help you even more in what I've seen in my own life. The more you try and look at what am I feeding this thing and try and find the fault, the worse it's going to be. Don't even look at what you're feeding wrong. Don't try and say, why am I doing this wrong thing? What wrong thing am I believing? Don't do that. Focus only on His love for you. The Holy Spirit knows where to apply the stuff. That's not our job. He will, you just continue in your normal Christian life where you say thank you God for the message of grace thank you for your unconditional love when the church is full I'm not happy because the church is full when the church is empty I'm not sad because the church is, is empty because, of, because you define me I mean it might have been 40 degrees Celsius today nobody comes to church now I want to define my righteousness by temperature <laughs> it's wrong you know so thank you God for what you're doing for me and you just continue and he will put the right belief in you I've tested, testified about this many times you guys know how I was going on with motorcycles you know I enjoyed high speed and uh, I couldn't get rid of it and uh, there was a time when I was thinking what am I believing that I need this fast motorcycle you know and go on this thing I will say well I'm not defined by how fast I drive but God, what is this? And you know what? I never got the answer. I'm free today and I still didn't get the answer. I don't know what I believed. I don't care what wrong thing I've believed. Or why this thing, what, what was the, the root. The answer is this thing. It was a brief spectrum antibiotica. You know? I don't know what that in English. Broad spectrum antibiotics. Okay? You don't care what's wrong. You just take that that medicine is going to fix the thing that's the how it is with the gospel of God's unconditional love and grace you just drink the message of his acceptance you, it's wonderful to go and sit and meditate ponder upon this reality having an expectation in our hearts I end off with Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11 is one says now faith is the substance of things hoped for the very evidence of the unseen for by it the elders obtained a good report. So what does he say there? He says, very clear, faith is the substance. The word substance there in the Greek is the word foundation. Faith, this persuasion of what Christ has done for us, is the foundation from where a good expectation is formed. Because our mind says, if all these things has happened, if, if man was justified by his works and that man has died and we are now justified by what God has done and his spirit brings forth a new life in us, what happens in your heart? An expectation is born. From this persuasion, a wonderful expectation is born and we expect the good to manifest by the power of the resurrection. And what do we see? We see him living in us. By it, the elders obtained a good report. Amen. I want to say something further, just to end this whole thing of justifying yourself by fruit, even if it's the fruit of God. In Hebrews it says there, and many of these faith heroes died in faith without receiving the promise. They were so persuaded of this truth. They believed in the promise was the Messiah to come. And the promise was eternal life. 
And they, in their life, it was a promise that God made them. They were persuaded because of the prophetic words and the Holy Spirit bringing conviction in their hearts. And they said, this is how it will be. They looked for a city of which God was the builder, not a physical thing, if you read Hebrews 11. And they passed away and they never saw it. They're seeing it now. Yeah. Amen. But while they were on earth, they didn't see it, but they didn't waver because they didn't judge themselves by the fruit, but by the word spoken by God. Hallelujah. Isn't this a wonderful gospel? If you didn't enjoy my message, I enjoyed it myself. And I'm sure my wife will say it was a wonderful message. You know, I love you guys so much. God cares for you, you know. And it's good to see the gospel bearing fruit in people's hearts. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that we can be here together. Thank you that our lives is, is, is not destroyed anymore because of the knowledge of what you've done for us. And thank you that we can yield to this wonderful love. Thank you that we can say, as what Mary said, it has already been done. We know it has all been provided for. Like you've provided everything on how she will be pregnant and how she'll give birth. Everything was provided. And we say, it's done unto us. Do it unto me. And thank you, Father, that Jesus was not an example for us, but of us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father as us. And we are saying, this new kingdom is being done unto us today. And we don't live by any other thing but the persuasion of this truth. By faith, we've got access into the very resurrection power of God. And thank you that faith is not of ourselves. It's not of ourselves. It's a persuasion that comes by your word. And I thank you, Lord, that I can say over these people today, as they go out today uh, to wherever they came from, I thank you, my God, that the message of grace, the gospel, the reminding of the Spirit will be so powerful in them, it will bring such a powerful conviction in their hearts of God's love for them. That they will know how high, how wide, how deep and how long the love of God is. Because, like your scripture says, in the measure we understand that, we are filled with the fullness of God. We are full of you. But thank you, Lord, that that fullness can be seen, not by our effort, but by your resurrection power. What a liberating God you are. Thank you for loving us and cleaning up the mess that was made by Adam and the devil. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. If there's anybody with any needs, I'll be here praying for you. Those of you that feel generosity in your heart and you want to give, there's a red box on the table there if you want to give. Thank you so much. God bless you guys.